Good morning. I like that rustle of people talking and greeting each other, and I like that I have to always call it to an end because you guys would keep going. I like that. Uh, Pastor Mark and Lori are not here. They are in Nicaragua. I think we have a picture of them with the computers that you guys sent to them. Uh, You can't see the keyboard, the music keyboard, piano keyboard, but it is there as well. Uh, And I'll tell you, uh, the enemy did everything he could to keep them from getting there. It was quite an adventure to follow, uh, but they are there finally. And uh, he is preaching this morning when you've got a, a pastor, the quality level of Dr. Smith, you have to be willing to share. So he is in Nicaragua this morning. Uh, Today we are continuing our study in Hebrews. Pastor Mark started the new year with a new study. It has been rich, uh, rich study. And we are continuing in chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3. The first six verses are our passage this morning. Let me pray for us before we get started. God, we will need humble hearts this morning. And we will need attentive minds to receive what you have for us in the coming moments. And I pray that you would provide these things for us. As we open your scripture, would you be near us, removing distractions and keeping our hearts humble and our minds open. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read together the first six verses of chapter 3 of Hebrews. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, testifying to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God. And indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews was written to Jewish believers, hence the name of the book, Jewish believers who were tempted to give up and go back. They were tempted to give up on Christianity and go back to what was familiar to them. Perhaps there are some of you who want to give up and go back as well. Hebrews was written for such. Tempted to give up better than continuing on with Jesus. When you are back, Hebrews is written for you as well. The idea that Jesus is like Moses is all over 
the scriptures. And it is rich material as you consider Jesus and focus on him. So Jesus is like Moses, and then the author contrasts them. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses, and as the author makes this point, he plays with the two meanings of the word house. Just as in our language, we can use house to mean two things. The physical building, check out my house, it has nice windows, and the figurative house or household, the people in my house. And that was the case then, too. The house of Aaron, or the house of David, the figurative sense, the people of God's house, and so forth. And he uses both of these. He says that Jesus is greater than Moses, the same way a builder, or you could say an architect, is greater than the house itself. We don't pray, you find a house you like, you don't say, wow, That house is amazing. Maybe you want to know who the skillful builder was. Maybe you want to know who the creative architect was. You give praise to the one who made it, not to the thing itself. In the same way, Jesus is greater than Moses. God being, Moses being part of the house, God being the creator of the house. And then in the figurative sense, a household. Moses was part of God's household as a servant in the house. And Jesus is over the house like a son. So in both ways, Jesus is greater than Moses like the builder is bigger than the house. And he's greater than Moses in that a son is greater than a servant in the house. Why is the author talking about this? Why is he talking about Moses when he's trying to encourage people not to give up and go back? It is because Moses represented their background, their culture, everything. Moses was their guy, represented the law and the prophets and all their traditions. And he's saying, Jesus is better than all that. Do we have the slide of the sign, the traffic sign? I'm going to show you two traffic signs today. Here's the first one. This is an arrow. The purpose of an arrow is to point to something else. Moses, the purpose of Moses was to point to Jesus. The author is just saying, as important as all that background stuff, that stuff that you're into, Moses and all that, as important as all that is, the purpose of it is to point to Jesus. Moses knew this. Moses wrote about Jesus. Let's look at Deuteronomy 18. It says, this is Moses writing, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you will listen to. God's going to raise up a prophet like me so that the author of Hebrews can tell you how much like me he is. And he will be the one that you need to listen to. Moses knew he was an arrow pointing to Jesus. And Jesus knew it too. John chapter 5, 4, Jesus speaking, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Do you remember the road to Emmaus? This is after Jesus was resurrected. He was walking with these two guys, and he was incognito. They didn't know who he was. And it says that he taught them about who he was. 
Look at Luke 24, verse 27. Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. Wow. Jesus began with Moses because they were Jewish, and he started there, but he didn't stop there. He showed them how all the scriptures were about him. All the prophets, all the Old Testament sacrificial system, the tabernacle, all of it is about Jesus. It points like an arrow to Jesus. And the author is saying, you've got a great tradition. You've got a great background. Good stuff going for you. Don't miss the point of the arrows. What about you? You are not likely Jewish. But you have a background, and you have a history, and you have a culture. Jesus is the point of these two. All testimonies, when you hear about somebody coming to faith in Christ, they all have arrows. My grandmother drugged me to church when I was young. My uncle, when he would pray over the meal, he would work in stuff about the gospel. Or my science teacher would be joyful about how the things he was studying pointed him to Jesus. There's these arrows in everybody's story that lead you to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of your story, just as he is the fulfillment of Moses and the law. If Jesus were on the road to Emmaus with you, perhaps he wouldn't start with Moses. Perhaps he would start with those arrows in your life. Those things that are pointing you to Jesus. It reminds me of a country song. God bless the broken road that led me straight to you. Your road is not likely straight or easy or without bumps, but it has led you here or listening to this sermon. Don't miss the point of the arrows. Come to faith in Jesus and... Don't go back. Don't give up. You all know what buyer's remorse is? You ever buy a, something, maybe online? I certainly have. I bought a, a hoodie the other day online, and it came, and I was very excited. And then I opened it and put it on, and it looks, looks ridiculous on me. I wish I hadn't bought it. But it was on sale. How good a deal is it? How much would you pay for a shirt that you don't want? Half? No, I wouldn't pay anything for a shirt I don't want. I have buyer's remorse. I wish I hadn't bought that hoodie. The Jewish Christians had buyer's remorse because their Christian experience was not awesome. Their Christian experience led them away from their family, away from their culture. They had to renounce some things. People didn't treat them the same after they became Christians. For some of you, that sounds familiar. For some of you, that sounds ridiculous because you're absolutely comfortable in here, in Christian culture. You like it here, and that's awesome. Your friends are in here. The people that you hang out with out there are also in here, and most of your family is in here. The music you listen to out there is similar to the music you listen to in here. In other words, you feel at home here. 
in the Christian community, in the culture. But for others of you, this is not true. For some of you, your family is not in here. And your family wouldn't come in here. And the friends you have out there, they're not in here either. And the music you listen to out there is different than the music in here. And the jokes out there are funnier. In other words, you don't feel quite at home in here. This doesn't feel like home. It doesn't feel like your culture. Or maybe you grew up in church, and there's things that get under your skin, you know? The way Christians act online, or the way that one person treated you, and how prominent they still are in the church. Things get under your skin. Christianity can feel like more baggage than blessing. Hebrews is written for you. And note how the encouragement comes. The encouragement is not, hang in there, Christian life gets better. That would be flimsy encouragement. Instead, the encouragement is, look up. Get your mind off of that stuff. Consider Jesus. Consider your spiritual heavenly calling, your spiritual family. Don't give up. Don't go back. You're part of the household of God. Endure in your confidence and hope. But then the author says, if, and this is kind of a challenge. He doesn't say, you're part of the family of God, you can do it. He says, you're part of the family of God if you do it. Let's look again. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is a challenge, and it is not a challenge that is one-off. Rapid fire. Here we go. Ready, slide guy? Hebrews 3.14 says, For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. Mark 13 and Matthew 24, 13 have exactly the same words, which I found interesting. Different books, but exactly the same words. The one who endures to the end will be saved. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And Luke 21.19, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Why are these a challenge? Why are these verses kind of sticky? It's because we believe and teach that once you are saved, you are always saved. We believe that everlasting life is ever lasting. I was encouraged. I have been reading my daily devotions out of a book called New Mourning Mercies by Tripp. Mark recommended this book last year, and I waited until January 1st because they're dated. And today, March 5th, I read this morning, listen, 
These are Mark Tripp's words, not scripture, but listen. It is because of grace that you have a forever place in God's family. It is because of grace that your life is under the careful administration of the king himself. It is because of grace that on your darkest days you are still loved and accepted. It is because of grace that when nothing in life makes sense, your life is still under his control. There is much for you to be concerned about in this life, but not these two things. His love will never fail, and his rule on your behalf is eternal. Those were his words as he considered Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. Salvation depends on Jesus, not on your ability to endure or live well. Jesus doesn't undo what he does. And salvation is something that Jesus does. So these verses that seem to tie our salvation to our ability to stick it out pose a bit of a challenge. And when we come to a verse that's a challenge, we must maintain a humble posture. Do not be quick to argue or to assume you are right, as Paul would say, to quarrel about words. These things are not beneficial. But we come to the verses nonetheless, and I can't take away the challenge this morning, but I want to provide you with four things to consider as you look at these verses. First, consider what things we are enduring in, what we are staying with, what we are not giving up on. We are enduring in our hope that Jesus did it all. We are sticking with the gospel that Jesus did it for us. None of these verses have to do with you sticking with your ability to endure and live well and avoid sin. This is what we hold fast to and endure in, the gospel. The second thing I would have you to consider, because there's a lot of words written about this issue, but I would just have you consider three of Christ's parables. Three parables, and for the sake of time, I am going to assume you are familiar with these. The three parables are the prodigal son, which you can find in Luke 15, the wise and foolish builder, which you can find in Matthew 7 and Luke 6, and the seeds among differing soils, which are in all three of the synoptic gospels. Is it possible for a child of God to leave close fellowship with God and God's family and to squander his life in reckless living? Yes, this is one of the teachings of the prodigal son. Did the prodigal son endure? Yes. How did endurance look to him while he was away? It looked like squandering, hungering, in need, longing, aware of his sonship, ashamed of his actions, repentant, eventually the return. Is it possible for a Christian to squander much? Yes, it is. And return is always available to them. 
However, is it also possible that some people who appear to have a genuine faith turn out not to when tested by trials? They turn out not to have a confident, enduring faith in the true foundation, the rock of Christ. Yes, that is part of the teaching of the foolish builder and the seed on differing soils. Both possibilities are true. Christians may squander much in reckless living, and there are those who leave behind what was never genuine for them. The problem is when you try to make one parable fit all circumstances. Both remain true. The third thing I would have you to consider is the difference between a description and causation. This is my pen. It is my pen because I went to Staples and I used my money to purchase it. It is mine. This pen is blue. Blue is a description of my pen. If you found a pen downstairs and you wondered if it was mine and you said, Brian, I have a pen down here and it's red, I would say, that doesn't sound like my pen. My pen is blue. But it is not true that this pen is mine because it's blue. Blue is just an accurate description of my pen. Your faith, saving faith, has descriptions. It endures. It does certain things that might look like works or do-goodery. But that doesn't mean that's what causes your faith, right? You're a child of God because he purchased you with the blood of Jesus. He made you his. Now that you're his, there's certain things that that looks like, you know, enduring faith among them. But you are not made his by those things. Do you see the difference? And it gets confusing if you say, well, well, do I, do I have to endure? Well, I, I mean, it has to be blue to be my pen. I guess it has to look like these things, you know, you know, a tree by its fruit kind of stuff. So the difference between description and causation. And remember, faith enduring in faith looks different when you're the prodigal son than it does when you've returned. Finally, I would have you to remember that these verses are for you. Sometimes we can get focused on the challenge of these verses that we miss the point of these verses. And so here is my second traffic sign. Caution, this sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges of this sign. Also, the bridge is out ahead, right? Sometimes you get so focused on something that you miss the point of that something, and that's the case with verses like this. Don't get so focused on the challenge or the warning of this verse that you, you miss out on the point of the encouragement. Don't come up with some theology that takes the sharp edges off of verses like these. These are meant for you. Don't use verses like these to judge others and whether or not they're in or out. That's not what these verses are for. And that's when it starts to fall apart. 
when you use the verses for something they weren't intended for. These verses were intended to be a warning, or more positively, an encouragement for you. It is not up to you to decide which parable that guy is living out. (laughs) Is he living out the prodigal son, or is he living out, you know, the foolish builder? That's not up to you. God doesn't want us to judge whether people are in or out. He wants us to leave that to him. Those are matters of the heart. But he has given us some guidelines. Some, he has given us some guidance because it's important when you have family members or you have loved ones who are no longer here. This is bonus material for you if that is you. Matthew 18 usually comes up when you're talking about church discipline, what to do when somebody goes off the rails. But I think it has application here. If someone is away, maybe they're the prodigal son, who knows, go to them. Invite them back. We have cookies. Come back. And if they come, you've gained a brother. If they remain over there with the pigs, go with someone else that maybe they like better. And invite them back again. And if they remain there, then bring it up with the church. Talk to your pastor. Talk to some Bible study leaders. And go again. And if they remain, the verse says, consider them as, it says, Gentiles and tax collectors. I'll just say, treat them like they're not believers. Just treat them like they're not believers. It doesn't say they are. It just says, just treat them that way. What does that mean? Write them off, condemn them to hell. No, how do you treat non-believers? Love, grace. You spend time with them, but maybe you work in some things about the gospel. And you pray for them, and you pray for their return, but maybe you also pray that they'd accept Jesus. So the scripture gives us some guidance. We're not to judge, but we can pray for people as though they're not believers. There you go, bonus material. When you read these verses, remain humble. They're challenging. Remember that they're about you and not about that other guy. Pray that God would keep you and help you to endure. God, I know that left to myself, I would wander God, don't leave me by myself. Thank you that you have promised not to leave me. I need you, and I rely on your continuing grace. As I conclude, let us pray together. God, thank you for your scripture. Thank you for your encouragement to those here who find themselves uncomfortable, ready to give up and go back. Thank you for calling us to look to you, to consider our place in your family, to consider you, our apostle and our high priest, our two-way communication with you, Father, through Jesus. Thank you that... You do not encourage us with how great our Christian experience is, but by how great your Son is. Help us turn our eyes 
to what all things in our past point to, to Jesus Christ. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.